one thing that bothers me. Why did you tell Brian that I was your fuck buddy? I didn't tell him that. I didn't say that. Hey, when did you stop caring, David? Caring about what? About the consequences of the promises that you've made. Promises? Yeah, the promises. I thought... <laughs> Get the fuck. What are you talking about? Do you understand how hard it is to pretend to be your buddy? David, I love you. I fucking love you. I fucking love you! Fuck! Hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do this. You fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Slow down. Four hey. times. It means something, David. Four times. Stop the car. It's 24 hours a day. I live with this aching possibility that you might call me to do something. Okay, let's go to your house and we'll talk this out. I want to see where you live. Slow down. I want you to stop the car, Julie. I want you to stop the car! Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? What are you doing? Okay, I love you. I love you. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. moments in the history of forever i'm zach i'm matt and this is episode number 179 vanilla sky uh, a lot of conversation going on out there about will they continue with the show given the circumstances i mean the truth is you know we're not a big corporation that can afford to just not <laughs> not get paid for this <laughs> podcast <laughs> so the show will go on yeah there's not really much else to do except pod. Really? I mean, so, actually, we could, yeah, actually take a leap here. We could. This, this is our opportunity. We're really going to try to make hay during the coronavirus quarantine situations. Right. Yeah. As long as we both remain healthy, we're going to try to do this. Look, I'd even say, you know, even if we're if we're both sick at the same time, it's. I think it's. A, we could still record. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we're just gonna. Play it by ear. Right now, our plan is to actually get back into the swing of things. We kind of let things go a little bit after the wrestler. There's just so much going on. 
with yeah. work, with coronavirus, with everything. Like but now all depression of a around like things getting canceled. Like yeah, no sports. You know, movie releases getting delayed. It's all of a sudden like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. Well, now that we've both accepted that our schedules have been cleared, hopefully we'll take advantage of the situation as best we can and it's true, yeah. it back up. I'm actually looking forward to a decent amount of like having nothing to do though as well. Oh yeah, definitely you know, for that's you. Exciting. That's pretty much sums it up though right. for me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the last ten years. I think for those of you who have been listening since the beginning, there can't be many of you, but you'll probably remember that this sort of random releasing of episodes sporadic who when's it gonna happen that's right yeah we've gone back to the well very similar to how it used to be we got things a little more organized and more regular as time went on but now recently we've fallen back into that who knows how it's gonna be these are chaotic times we live in right now we're planning on getting back to normal but after this episode it could be another exactly yeah right who knows what's going to happen? Next thing you know, it's just like a quiet place and we're like in the basement of some house and like no one is around and we just have like all sorts of weird things written on a chalkboard. Like, how do we get these transmissions out? Like, <laughs> Speaking of quiet place, quiet place two was delayed. Man. Just the releases of everything now. I, I do fear for movie theaters. Will they be able to even reopen if they have to close some of them? Some of the lesser... Yeah, it's a bummer to think about. That's probably why a lot of them haven't just shut down yet, because they're thinking, like, we can't afford it. Yeah. We can't afford to take time off. You do wonder, like, with all the crazy things being canceled, the hits that some of these businesses are going to take. Yeah. Well, that's probably why the the economy is tanking at the same time. It's just part of the deal. So if there's people seeking out free entertainment that doesn't, you know, require you to leave the house... We've Greatest got moments you, right? right here. Yeah. So that's really all we can really say about the current situation. We're not experts or anything. I Hopefully we'll look back on this in three months or six months and think, man, that feels like an overreaction. And if it feels like an overreaction, that means that we successfully flattened the curve and everything worked out and it wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, fingers crossed. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Vanilla Sky. Right. 2001. Something else kind of grim. Directed by Cameron Crowe. Screenplay by Crowe based on Abre Los Ojos, Open Your Eyes, which was a film from 1997 written by Alejandro Amabar and Mateo Gill. Certainly uh, a lot to talk about here. I think it's fair to say this feels like a bigger swing than anything else Cameron Crowe did in his career. It certainly... The one time that he kind of went out of his comfort zone. Yeah, really. To like almost uh, science like a, fiction type territory. A surreal universe as opposed to, yeah. you know, a lot of his movies seemingly being based off of accounts from his life, you know. I, I don't think that this one really fits the bill for that. Yeah, and it definitely got mixed reviews because of that. I happen to love the film, especially the first hour and 45 minutes. And we'll get to the last half hour and want my problems with it. I don't hate everything about it. I just feel like yeah. this movie would be even cooler if they didn't try to explain everything. If they left stuff a little more in clues rather than just directly having a guy explain stuff at the True. end. But whatever. It's a Tom Cruise vanity project. Uh, there's a lot of meta ways to look at it. The character of David Ames 
and Tom Cruise, at least the way we as an audience perceive Tom Cruise, not that we know him personally, but his public persona and this David Ames character, where they meet, how are they similar, how is Cruise drawing upon his real life, his movie star looks, his big smile into this movie that's all about getting its face fucked up. And this was at a time where movie news felt like a big deal, like pre-internet. So, like, you'd see stories on Entertainment Tonight or something, like... Well, everything with him and, like... Oh, his face is fucked up uh, in this movie that's so crazy. And, like, there was that lyric in the Through the Wire by Kanye West where where he references this movie. Like, the fact that Tom Cruise did a movie where his face gets fucked up seemed revolutionary. (laughs) But just everything about Tom Cruise from this time period, I I just remember having this thought of him as just, like, this huge star on a level that i wouldn't think of anyone existing in that plane now yeah this was still definitely the days of the movie star and the movie star selling tickets just by themselves and i do remember what the movie was uh, tom cruise and penelope cruise being in the news slash tabloids like a lot i think they had a brief relationship relationship right coming out of his divorce with Nicole Kidman, which happened like during the filming of this movie. Yeah, yeah. But before we get all caught up in this crazy movie, Vanilla Sky, let's remind our listeners to follow oh, the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Stay subscribed. Get subscribed on Apple Music, Podbean, iTunes, all that good stuff. We're coming at you through this difficult time. <laughs> For now. We're a beacon of strength and positivity That's to right. talk about a movie from <laughs> 19 years ago. <laughs> that I don't know how people even feel about it now. I think there are definitely people that love it and think that it's really cool and interesting. This is one of and those. There are also people that forgot about it and just it doesn't even exist on their. It's radar one of those anymore. movies for me that after first watch I was into it, but it was certainly weird for me, and I can remember like. During my crazy movie buying eras, always seeing this like sitting out and like picking it up and thinking about it and then ultimately not getting it. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I think I was always just like, I don't know if I want to rewatch this. <laughs> Vanilla Sky stars Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, who also starred in Abres Los Ojos, the original. Cameron Diaz, who. Stunning in this Gives movie. Gives an I unbelievable say. Yeah. performance. She was actually, even in people that wrote bad reviews, people usually noted Diaz's performance. She just kind of goes for it completely. Nails this role, yeah. Just no holding back, just all in. And her character is so complex and interesting and could have its own movie be about just Oh, totally. I, I'm, more, I'm most interested in her, I would say. And she drew a lot from her own life because... The character that she plays, Julie Gianni, is basically Cameron Diaz if she never got the mask. It's supposed to be someone that was like on the cusp of being a star and just it didn't happen. The agreed upon backstory was like she's turning 27. She's like 27. And that's like the cutoff for actresses, I guess, of like making it. Yeah. And it's just not happening. And she had a little bit of success and it never went anywhere. And now. She's wasting all of her time on someone that doesn't care about her the way she cares about him. And it's an interesting oh, it's, character. Yeah. You do look at this movie with a different set of eyes. At least I did now than certainly when I was 
19 or whatever watching this movie <laughs> because I, I don't know i don't think i was able to put it into perspective of like how horrible what tom cruise is doing to her is oh or, yeah, you know, yeah david yeah. i think a lot of the, we'll get to that in a second because i wanted to just could do like an totally, overview yeah. of what we thought the movie was about but before we do that jason lee also in this movie kurt russell tilda swinton has yeah. a brief role in a surprise pop-up I, I was michael shannon her. even popping up yes randomly Vanilla Sky had a budget of $68 million and a total box office of $203.4 It actually million. feels bigger than that to me, even. Like, it feels bigger the shutting than shutting down of Times Square seems like that yeah. in and of itself would be super expensive. You figure they're probably paying Tom Cruise, like, a guaranteed amount. Plus, he gets probably a lot of the profits on this. This was, like, his production, basically. Right. Tom Cruise was a fan of the movie Fight Club, which had come out a couple years prior to this. He saw an advanced screening with the head of Fox, Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch hated the film. Cruz loved it. You can pretty much draw a straight line as to why he wanted to do this movie. He bought the rights to do a remake of Abres Ojos. He knew Crow from doing Jerry Maguire. He gets Cameron Crowe to watch the movie, gets him on board to write and direct it. They team up again. They had big success with Jerry Maguire. One of the people that almost got Renee Zellweger's role was Cameron Diaz. Okay. They remembered her from that. They bring her in. They bring in Cruz, Penelope Cruz from The Ridge. There Is you she go. the same character? I don't know. Okay. I've never seen... We should say that. I've, yeah, we've never seen right. the original. <laughs> so we didn't do that much homework. We're basically chuds. Come we on. Don't, we don't actually see foreign films. Well, where is that streaming? I don't know. I didn't even look. That's the thing. I mean, how much money does the listening audience expect us to spend, like, tracking down? That's true. I have to buy Matt copies of these movies. <laughs> really? <laughs> to on, just guys. keep yeah. the podcast going. The film came out December 14th, 2001. was obviously filmed pre-9-11. Feels came out afterwards. of the time, though. This dreamlike Xanax Adderall time period. Well, this was, know? like, the height of the... 90s radio head just going sneaker all pimps in. yeah just thinking like yeah we can do whatever we want we're invincible let's let's do a movie about trying to live forever basically the most handsome man we can imagine who's also incredibly wealthy his biggest fears are his own stupid bullshit because no one was thinking about terrorism or war yet and it really shows in movies like this that kind of were filmed pre 9-11 and then released yeah. post 9-11 and they just have this weird vibe to them i remember seeing this movie in the theater it was an odd experience i definitely feel like there was like a weird feeling about some of the stuff in the movie especially the end of the movie where he jumps off of a building yeah and there's a shot I mean, it's a of skyscraper the two towers in new in the york background. city yeah and Cameron Crowe was asked by the studio to remove the towers, and he wouldn't do it, which in okay. retrospect is the right decision, although at the time it probably felt very strange to people, and I can understand why the studio wanted him to do it. Yeah, I we get it. We talked about in The Sopranos, the Sopranos right. opening credits. I don't know if we did that on mic, but we certainly talked about it oh, when sure. we did The yeah. Sopranos episode recently, how they took it out. But in this context of this movie, it makes sense to leave them in because there's things about that that view of New York city that aren't right intentionally. Like the statue of Liberty is in a place that it's not okay. Stuff like yeah. that. It's supposed to be a memory of New York, not what New York actually is. Right. Okay. Gotcha. But we'll get, to I that get that explanation. <laughs> yeah. There's sort of things like that going on throughout the movie, right? Like things that are just off. Oh yeah. 
yeah, some intentionally, some just kind of happy accidents that fit in with the vibe. And another big thing is just that Tom Cruise's character is the head of this like publishing giant and how in Yeah, that doesn't feel like that would be a lucrative career. The the dying media well it would have been then right i know yeah that's what i mean though it's just owning all of the magazines and all this that is stuff. And then, <laughs> pre-gone girl so yeah it just it's a completely different time now and even the the lawyer character tommy's like people will read again <laughs> yeah that's because right. even 19 years ago i think people were starting to be afraid of the internet they weren't even sure how massive it was all going to be and what all it was going to kill but i think people started to realize like a lot of this shit <laughs> might be gone soon i don't know that's right yeah you know i don't know how much they felt for sure but some people had to be thinking like uh oh like this could potentially be bad yeah (laughs) so what do you think vanilla sky is about oh boy (laughs) is there a right answer to this uh i i I even there's a lot of answers i feel like i was even reading wikipedia and there's like a part on there where cameron crow mentions that there's like five or so different no, no, potential no. interpretations i wrote those down that's not what i'm talking about not like yeah. the interpretations but just like what is it about not like what happens in it okay <laughs> you're getting like too specific i'm thinking like all right well it starts out as like a romantic comedy okay with some sort of murder mystery element that eventually turns into a mind-bending question of reality. yeah by then it's uh, yeah by the second half of it it's a completely different movie than what it is in the first half and ultimately, it's about a lot of different things. It's the impact of our choices and I think, how the choices affect other people. I think like everything up to the crash feels like one movie. And then kind of, I know like they draw a line at a certain point. But to me, the line feels after the crash. Because after the crash, things start to feel off to me. Yeah, I think... Like in- before the nightclub scene, it starts to feel off even. Well, I think intentionally so at times because some of it is just supposed to be how he remembers things. Yeah. And not necessarily how it happened. Accurate. But you're still getting like too specific. I'm thinking like what are we supposed to take away? So like impact of our choices, how they affect people, how yes. we see ourselves versus how other people see us, vanity. It's also about love, the sour and the sweet and how pain in our life can accentuate the pleasure and accentuate the good times. It's about dreams, memory, about the desire to live forever. Yeah, probably, and some warnings against the things we take for granted. Yeah, how our relationships can be viewed differently by the other people in the relationship and the potential damage that we do. Also, how I would say how quickly everything can change. Yeah. And it ultimately becomes this pastiche of one's experiences, an idealized version of everything. Sophia becomes this symbol of idealized romantic love that he bases Which off is of like, different movies yeah. and different things. And not based off of the actual person, really. No. And what could be or what could have been and the longing for the unknown and the longing for something real when reality comes crashing down and David Ames realizes that like nothing in his life has actually been real because he never experienced like real love until the last possible minute. And then he still fucked it up by making (laughs) one last bad decision. It is very much of an era of these sort of 
I guess you would say like alternate reality yeah. genre movies like Fight Club and The Matrix. I feel both like, came out uh, in around the same time. Existentialism was like a big thing around this time period. Yeah, and you have Cruise. <laughs> I think it's also funny that Tom Cruise is actually like thirty nine in this movie. Oh yeah, but he's playing someone that's just turning thirty three because he looks that good. Really, and that's part of it too. Like this unending vanity that goes beyond just now he's playing someone that's turning 30 in a movie (laughs) yeah kelly mcgillis is playing his grandma yeah Yeah, i just think that the vanity of david ames you can kind of just take that and project that onto what we think of tom cruise or other movie stars i think it's cool that the thing that gets fucked up in this movie the most is his face because that's so important to the character and so important to a movie star and you think like what would happen if like a real movie star who was predominantly famous for their looks like got fucked up like this like how would you deal with something like that yeah it would be awful what happens to him despite whatever his actions were to get to this point i mean it is a pretty tough thing (laughs) yeah i would say so right the title of the film is a reference to depictions of skies in certain paintings by claude monet in addition to monet's impressionistic artwork the film's tone was derived from the acoustic ballad by way of sorrow by julie miller and a line from an early interview of elvis presley in which he said i feel lonely even in a crowded room which i can kind of get that yeah Production designer Catherine Hardwick, who went on to become a director, she was a production designer on a lot of Linklater and Crow movies. I kind of associate those two together a little bit. I I don't know why. There's a weird... 90s, guys. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And she went on to direct like 13. Oh, wow. Okay. With Evan Rachel. Yes. But then also the first Twilight movie and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. The opening of this film is so cool. And so awesome that I rewatched this movie several times just for this podcast. And then I yeah. I went and I watched the alternate ending, which we'll talk about at the end. I don't think that's on the DVD. Maybe it is. But there's a whole alternate ending that is included. Like, you can watch the regular movie I think I w- with I was the alternate ending. I was reading that on the Wikipedia, but I haven't actually experienced it. I think it might only be on the Blu-ray and you okay. were using the DVD. Yes, correct. Even when I would like just be like, all right, I'm going to start this movie just to get to the end to watch this alternate ending. I still wanted to like stop and rewatch this beginning. And I did it. I probably rewatched the beginning like five or six times in the weeks leading up to doing this podcast because the beginning yeah. is so cool. Well, the whole like going through New York City while it's just like desolate and no one is around. Such a just like cool, unique, almost eerie feeling. That's always been something that has had this strange impact on me whenever I I would be at college campuses when school was out or like these places where you're used to it being populated with a ton of people and then all of a sudden it's empty there is like this weird feeling associated with that yeah it starts with a dream sequence that opens on these very unique overhead shots of New York City like not at an angle. Well, some of them are at an angle, but the first few are just straight down, yeah, which yeah. you never see. There's no sound except for like kind of this rustling of wind that sort of builds up. True. It's very haunting, and there's all this quiet, and then you hear and it's weird because- a voice, which we're going to find out yeah. is Sophia later, who isn't at this point, the way they've structured this is someone that David Ames hasn't even met yet. 
And she's I like, Abrisle ojos, open your eyes. And he wakes up, and Sabrina is playing on that TV, which was like a TV that I don't even think is in his real life. That's just part of his dream. Okay, yeah. That TV that goes into the ground that I guess Tom Cruise like designed it, and then they gave it to like their production team to figure out how to do it. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of these little clues throughout. So this is Audrey Hepburn on the TV and right. Audrey Hepburn will be like one of his idealized versions of romance. And I think Cameron Crowe directed Penelope Cruz to sort of imitate different things that Audrey Hepburn does later on. Now we talked about how much we liked Cameron Diaz's performance. For some reason, American critics were like really bullying Penelope Cruz around. This oh, time. really? She got nominated for like three Razzies for like, Oh wow. This Captain Corelli's mandolin and blow. Blow, yeah. And I don't know why. I don't think she's bad in this movie at all. I mean, no, I don't either. I think she's fine. Yeah. I'm not like blown away by her performance, but I don't think it's it noticeably vaguely bl- bad either. Yeah. Don't really know what that's about. Well, it, it feels like, and maybe I'm completely misremembering this, but it just feels like very possible that it's one of those things where Penelope Cruz all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and is like in American mainstream movies. I'm assuming it, it's because people are right. racist and she has like an accent and they're like uh, goofing on it in a way. Yeah, maybe. But it just feels like she seemed like someone to be hated at that time. Yeah, it's, like, it's really Those weird. cycles go around and like it seemed like, you know, whatever happened with her and Tom Cruise and being in the news for that stuff, I don't know. It just feels like people go through these cycles where they're picked to be the person. In addition to Sabrina, you can kind of vaguely see the Free Will and Bob Dylan cover in the background here. Ah, yes, here. right. This movie is stuffed with clues oh. and references to things. Not only clues to what's really happening, because there's tons of those. For instance, characters tell him to wake up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> people literally say, what is this, a dream? Like People say shit all the time throughout <laughs> this movie. And like the word dreams are just like written places. There'll be someone wearing like a a shirt that says like revolution number nine and like all this different stuff. And there are also clues that have to do with like his visual and aesthetic pastiche that like make up his idealized version of his life that he'll live once he begins his right lucid dreaming, which we'll get to. But I love that silence she says those words, and then it kicks in with Everything in Its Right Place by Radiohead. Yes. A fitting song for this movie. And it just feels really, I don't know, the, I don't know if a song has ever fit like a movie right there at right. that moment. It's like that weird, I don't even know what instruments are in that song, but it's like, do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, what the fuck? And then you see the- It, it fits that whole vibe that I was talking about where it, <laughs> there was just a lot of this whole, not just- dreamlike but almost drug-induced dream state feel to this time <laughs> period i don't know I, I just always remember everything like it, it feels like all the characters are like on like lithium <laughs> or something david ames lives in the dakota which you are not allowed to film inside so they use exteriors of it and then build a set this is where john lennon lived at the end of his life oh, and okay. was shot outside of it's a famous apartment building in new york but yes the dream is of a deserted new york david leaves his apartment and this is his worst nightmare david ames's worst nightmare is to be alone to be abandoned yeah there are a lot of daddy issues at play don't really know how great his relationship was with his mother it seems better than with his father but they both died at the same time which we'll find out later 
and he's been alone for 10 years, essentially, and they filmed this in a completely empty, deserted Times Square for real. There's no tricks. They closed it down early on a Sunday morning and filmed this with Tom Cruise running around, and even all of the little electronic ads yeah. everywhere are all clues, too. It seems like it would it be down. so difficult to pull this off, like having a deserted Times yeah, Square. Yeah, it's crazy. And it makes for one of the more interesting visuals in the movie and one of the things that I remember most about it and that just sticks with you because it's so unique. Yeah, I would agree with to that. Have this version of Times Square so busy, so packed with all of that stuff, all of the stores and the ads and the electronic billboards are all working and functional. They turned all the power on. Everything's happening. Yeah. There are no people anywhere. They would do something similar in uh, I Am Legend years later with Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. Not quite to the same effect. And he freaks out and he's running and then we find out it's all a dream. And almost immediately we hear voiceover of a conversation between Kurt Russell and Tom Cruise. And so we understand that the conversation is in the present and what we're seeing happened in the past and there's references already to a murder we don't know what's going on we don't see them yet right but we hear them and so basically the majority of the, the movie conversation is, almost sounds like an interrogation yeah the the majority of the movie is being remembered through a conversation between right. two people which i think is taken from obviously osos but for a while in the first half, it feels like we kind of stay on the rails for the main storyline for a bit. It feels like after you get past well, this opening sequence. Like, oh, there might be a murder mystery here, but there's really nothing odd or supernatural yet. True. You're just kind of like things are straightforward. Maybe something bad happened. And it's not until you see him in that mask when they actually show you the conversation. Yeah. yeah. You start thinking like what is what going is on? Yeah. <laughs> okay. When David wakes up for real, he's not alone, and the voice on his alarm is not Penelope Cruz or Sophia. It is Cameron Diaz playing Julie Gianni. Yes, the incomparable Julie Gianni. Let's talk about David and Julie and who they are a little bit. Let's start with David. So David, our main character, is the ultra-wealthy young playboy. He is the owner of a large publishing empire that he inherited from his father, He has been living in his father's shadow and trying to escape it. His father seems like the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting (laughs) man in the world. And his son, on the other hand, is afraid of heights. And this seemed to bother his father to no end. For some reason. It doesn't seem like his father necessarily treated him poorly or didn't love him. It's just that there was some sort of a distance there. Yeah, it seems like his dad had a busy life busy career david is charming but oblivious selfish but probably doesn't realize how or why right he he's he's never even considered it that's the thing he does things that are actually kind of horrible but is like so charming and also sort of ignorant to his actions that he doesn't seem like a bad guy to borrow something from our rivals the rewatchables Okay. If I had to pick something that doesn't age particularly well, it's that the movie seems to make a point of wanting him to apologize to Brian, his friend, at the end of the movie. Right, yeah. And I was like, don't you think that they should have had a part here 
where he apologizes to Julie too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though I mean she got her revenge and oh sure she took it to a level that's like too far, but I don't know. It just felt like they were kind of leaving something out there at the end. Yeah, but whatever. It's a it's something him that... him like kind of taking chicks from Brian was right. considered the worst. Thing. It's something that they <laughs> were able to do correctly in Scott Pilgrim versus the World when you know Scott tells Kim. <laughs> That he's sorry about everything. He's sorry about him. <laughs> Just throws it out. Yeah. <laughs> Julie Gianni is David's current lover. She's a fuck buddy who secretly dreams of having so much more with him. Yeah, I don't know if she would define the relationship as fuck buddy. She's just going along with it. Yeah. It's one of those I things I feel like where... she's trying to execute on a long-term plan here. No. No. She, I mean, she. there's too much sadness. There's no hope okay. in her mind, even I think at this she point. She knows that there's no chance I mean, of like reeling this into a, a real you know, her, relationship. She's fantasizing that she can change it, but no. Okay. She's going along with something that he wants because it's the only way for her to be close to him. Yeah. It's to kind of go along with this like casual relationship. She is an aspiring actress, but the clock is ticking. She's had some success, but the big break just never happened. As I mentioned, I think it's comparable to Cameron Diaz herself if she would have never gotten the mask. Right. Like, what would have happened? Now, I'm not saying Cameron Diaz would have gone crazy. and <laughs> yeah. been, But you know what I mean? Just kind of this just missed it on the cusp. Yeah. Lewin Davis. Yes. Julie Gianni is the Lewin That's Davis. That's right. Yes. The hot young actresses of the <laughs> early 2000s. Later, Sophia will describe Julie as the saddest girl to ever hold a martini. Pretty fitting description. One of my favorite moments, really, is when she's kind of holding that drink and like a single tear is kind of going oh, yeah. down. There's a lot of sadness and pain. Cameron Diaz herself filmed this all on a break from filming Gangs of New York, the Martin oh, Scorsese wow. movie. Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, a lot going on. We meet Brian Shelby played by Jason Lee. He is kind of shocking David's friend to see him be like kind of the second male lead next to Tom Cruise. In, in, it's in hard to imagine them being friends. I agreed. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just in, you know, obviously you and I talked about it, but we have the almost famous connection here with Jason Lee and Cameron Crowe. But yeah, like looking back to 2001 and thinking that Jason Lee was playing next to Tom Cruise in like a pretty big role. <laughs> Jason Lee basically is Julie Gianni. Right. <laughs> He's like, he came so close. Yeah. It seemed like something was going to happen. And then all of a sudden he was on My Name is Earl for like 10 years. Yeah. Well, which I'm sure was lucrative. I think, yeah. And successful on there. So didn't really become like a big movie star. I think Jason Lee has a ton of charisma and he can do a certain part really well. Yeah. But that certain part is kind of limited to like the character that he plays in this movie slash mall rats yeah, exactly slash yeah. chasing amy who could all be the same guy yeah he's pretty awesome as jeff bb in almost famous yeah but that's such an ensemble True. and he's yeah definitely what like third or fourth well absolutely say, like, yeah main character he's like so far down but in this movie vanilla sky it almost seems like this is the third or fourth time we've seen him in this type of role where he's sort of like the friend like yeah. the the kind of Kind of funny. Kind of cocky, but also knows that he's not the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They drive to work. I'm not sure where 
Brian is when they get there. Yeah. He's just not really with them anymore. Because then he goes into the building. And where does Bri- where's Brian at that point? No idea. I don't, know. I don't know. He's just in the car. They almost get into an accident. We meet the seven dwarves who are the board, the board of this company. They have 49%. David was left 51%. He has the keys to the kingdom. I think that's an important phrase because that will be brought up later when yeah. McCabe says keys to this prison. I was loving that Kurt Russell's character's name is McCabe. Just, okay. You know, from us recently doing <laughs> yeah, McCabe and Mrs. Russell Miller. Kurt Russell took this part without even reading the script. He's like the perfect guy to be this likable father figure for David, this doctor that's supposed to be like a court-ordered psychiatrist. And Cameron Crowe worked with his stepdaughter. That's right. In his previous film, Almost Famous. David's living seemingly a perfect life, though, aside from some minor quibbles about his company and the seven dwarves however fairly early in the film pre-party even we do see david in prison wearing a prosthetic mask and just to get this out of the way now he always is wearing this mask in these scenes with mccabe yes until the very end i just don't want to have to keep remembering because it's like this big moment towards the end of the movie where it finally comes off but he's wearing the prosthetic mask in these scenes He's telling a version of his life story to this court psychologist, Dr. Curtis McKay, played by Russell. Everything else is done in flashbacks, and it is confirmed to us that there has been a murder, but David is adamant there was no murder. We don't know what is going on. I know. The mask is weird, but still, nothing is, like, impossible. And it's this feels like, like such a... Yet. But it does feel like such a departure from the flashback sequences. You are having a hard time at this moment trying to figure out... How do we get to here? For sure. This is a grandiose swing, and it tries to walk a tightrope between so many different genres and tries to be so many different things. And I do think that's part of people's issue with the movie. I think anytime we've talked about movies on here that attempt to do too much yes. or combine too many different genres, it turns out that people have a hard time with changing tones and everything. But I don't know. I I kind of love stuff like that, <laughs> and you know, this isn't the best version of it. I this, think sometimes this movie's it can not work. as good I think sometimes as like it's hard. Fight Club. Yeah, but I think it's kind of a cool experiment. I agree with that. Yeah, and it's focusing on different things than The Matrix or Fight Club. I mean, it's similar ideas, but there's different emphasis in this. Agreed. So David's having this big birthday party at his huge yeah his luxury apartment yeah multi-level apartment that seems to just be an endless right situation that has like a separate apartment i love the subtle things about this party that you definitely do not pick up on the first time you watch it just yeah lay it on me the trail of wounded women oh yeah (laughs) those two model looking babes that he introduces to each other and the sadness on their face when he walks away and you just know, like, the implication is so clear right. that there's a million Julie Giannis yeah. that all kind of thought that he loved them. It's like what you would imagine Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> real life to yeah. be like. <laughs> and I was like, who could play this character now? Who is this character? And I could not think of anyone beyond DiCaprio. Really. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we don't have movie stars at this level. Exactly. That can pull yeah. This off. Well, what happened is once they all started getting on like Twitter, and you're like, "Oh, this guy's not cool." <laughs> <laughs> you have revealed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you are lame. 
Brian has brought a date, Sophia, played by Penelope yeah. Cruz. Kind of unbelievable that Brian would be able to convince her to even go to this party. I don't really know how that happened. I don't know. I guess it's just <laughs> the idea of going to like this rich dude's apartment, probably. I guess Jason Lee is an all right looking guy, and he clearly can talk. Yeah, a good game. That's true. So I guess he can kind of take it halfway home. Sometimes. It's crazy though, like how much of a foregone conclusion for him it is that you if know David's David Ames is. There's just no yeah, hope. Right, it's it, over. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I think a lot of this movie is you get the impression that things like this have happened before with a lot of the things that happen. There's a million Julie Giannis. There's a million yeah. Sophias. Except this is the one that actually changes david in some way that he actually cares about for the first time and is like the possibility of actual true love and then everything gets fucked up yes david is instantly laser focused on sophia they are flirting immediately about her giant coat just talking and having fun and brian is just immediately like oh boy pushed to the side and no one is hearing him when he talks (laughs) i thought it was cool that they had this john coltrane hologram Okay. That yeah. felt like something that would not have existed then, but now seems like something that at a super rich guy's party would be something that could happen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Remember Did- um several years back now when it was at Coachella or whatever they were doing like hologram performances. Yeah. And it was like a big thing, like this new technology, but like at the time, everyone was like, this is going to become such a thing where, like, there'll be, like, full The Beatles concerts all in hologram, and it'll, like, be at arenas and stuff. And, you know, it just never really took. Well, yeah, for a lot of reasons. Primarily, nobody would ever really pay money to see Yeah, that. right. It's stupid. And also, it's probably, it's it's hard to, like, get the rights and what, what are they playing? Sure. Is it, like, random live recordings? I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> so we meet Tommy the longtime family lawyer who was about to be fired, and David ends up saving his job when Tommy starts revealing how he truly does care about David and David's family and the company. Yeah. And he also plants the initial conspiracy theory into David's head, which will never really pay off in any way other than it's just this constantly is, something in David's mind. Uh, the, the, very Inception-like, the, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, this guy's kind of like the Tom Berenger character. A little bit, yeah. The Seven Dwarves and their attempt to take over the company will always factor into how David thinks about what's happening to him in his life. And he also reveals that they refer to him as Citizen Dildo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Pretty yeah. cool. I love those giant Jules and Jim and Breathless posters. Yeah, in that David's is sweet. Room. Those posters are so huge. And just like I mean, this movie really cool is just littered with pop culture. Oh yeah, stuff know. to the broom, including like they they managed to fit in like a bunch of songs throughout the movie as oh, well. Oh yeah, the shattered Pete Townsend guitar was fake though. Okay, although yeah. Cameron Crowe said that shortly after filming, it disappeared pretty quickly, and I was like, did the person who stole it think it was real? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I don't know if that would really be worth like displaying in your home if it was fake. <laughs> True. Julie Gianni crashes the party. She's waiting yeah. nude, basically, under a blanket. Which seems nuts. I, she I mean, wasn't invited. Is... <laughs> yeah. Which so it's does super re- awkward. Reveal a little something about, you know, where he's at with this whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, she... it's weird because the way he acts never it never feels like he's nefarious in his actions or anything, but it's like, okay, so I guess you didn't invite her because 
you're thinking you're going to pull some other chick at this party? Yeah, it's hard to say. David Ames, the ways to describe him would be more like careless. Yeah. Reckless, oblivious, thoughtless. Not necessarily like mean. You know what I mean? Right. Or like antagonistic or yeah, like aggressive uh, any, in any exactly. way. Exactly. Almost conflict adverse. He I feel, just it feels sees like he... their relationship as something so casual and unimportant. Yes. But even with Brian, it's like Brian is like making these like comments and noting on the fact that like, all right, you know, I brought this girl over and you're just going to steal her. And David Ames' way of resolving that is just to basically like ignore it. <laughs> just just like, I'm gonna, yeah, just like blow past it. Yeah. I think in rewatching it, I was kind of conflicted on how to think about Sophia's role in that too. I was like, well, <laughs> who gets invited to a party like kind of on a date and then just thinks it's okay to just abandon the date immediately? I do think that that's shitty and I don't think that she gets enough heat for that. <laughs> Granted, she doesn't owe Brian anything beyond that no, night. No, no. <laughs> you I didn't know, even wait on. five minutes. <laughs> I do like the comment that Julie Gianni makes about David Ames's fancy friends. And she's like, I knew all these people when I was fancy too. Okay. Yeah. Which sort of references like her prior fling with success that's gone now and it never took off. Yeah. There's just a lot there. Because <laughs> you could definitely view Julie Gianni as simply a catalyst in this movie to cause something to happen, which pushes everything else about what the movie is really about, which is this whole life extension thing right this lucid dreaming that happens after death but i see her as like so much more just because you know whether it was crow's script or a combination of the script in the original movie or stuff that cameron diaz brought to it but there just seems like there's so much going on with the things that she says and the way she says them and it just hints it like so much i love it (laughs) i mean there's just so much going on in this movie in general like I know. They when I said what's like this movie so about, much, yeah. there's so many things. I know. I, I And you act like this is going to be some question that I'm going to be able to answer. Well, I just wanted to hear some words. <laughs> and then you go on and it's like, I, I feel like we haven't even gotten close to finishing the answer to that question. <laughs> we won't by yeah. the end of this. David escapes the awkwardness with Julie, gets back to Sophia, but Julie is watching Oh now. yeah. And there is kind of this light rom com vibe at times, and... Crow said he was heavily influenced for these scenes by Howard Hawks and Billy Wilder and Penelope Cruz at various points channeling Audrey Hepburn from like Love in the Afternoon and some of those movies. And it does set you up for the shifts in this movie to be even more blindsided. This is, um, by the way, why I've been trying to see more old movies so that I know these references. Yeah, well, we've been watching a lot of the the Billy Wilder stuff. Oh, yeah. We did a couple on here. I think sort of that fast, flighty, flirty dialogue of, like, moving around, talking. And there is sort of this dreamlike sense to the connection between David and Sophia that will come crashing down. And it makes the scene with Julie, the crash, so jarring. And especially the stuff that she says, like, leading up to the crash. Oh, I know. It's so out of left field. And then that's only so really intense. to prepare you for how crazy the shifts will be later. Oh, yeah. Like, how did we even get here? Right. Like, what the fuck? David shows Sophia the paintings in his bedroom, which are insane. 
the Joni Mitchell painting, which I guess was real, but the Monet one is not real. I think in some of the deleted scenes and extended, when you look at the painting, it's just blank. Oh, okay. So gotcha. they, I guess they somehow digitally put it on there. It is a real painting in real life, but yeah, yeah. in the movie, they're pretending like he owns it. Right. I think the one that they're basing it on is owned by a private collection. It's the Seine at Argenteel or something. Okay. Butchering pronunciations yeah. is part of the show. Good for that, private collector. But he loves Monet's vanilla skies, as he calls them. It was a favorite of his mother. Imagine being, like, so rich that you're just buying original pieces of, like, famous artwork. What degree of wealthy are you? Yeah, well, I can't imagine it. Exactly. It's a memorable first night for David and Sophia. And this first night is essential to everything in this movie. It's the defining night of David's life. It's the night that sort of drives him even more insane after yeah. the accident because of the lost opportunity that he feels and when all is eventually said and done this is their one true night together i know there will weird. be another night that actually does happen but he won't be this this guy anymore this right. guy won't really exist and there's this emotional carnage left in david's wake There's Brian who's talking about the sour and the sweet and how David never will really truly appreciate the sweet because he never experienced the sour. Oh, yeah. And there's Julie. Oof. Yeah, Julie. Slow dancing drunkenly (laughs) with a waiter who's holding a tray of drinks. That is such a stunning shot of her (laughs) dancing with that guy. If you only ever see this movie once, you may even forget about this because we don't actually hear the details of their conversation. But Brian and Julie do talk at this party. Yeah, that's right. We don't know what they say other than I think they're like, hi. Well, Brian has, you know, made some references to Julie being someone that he, you know. Yeah, but he also says the same thing about Sophia. Well, he both, he calls is... both of them dream girls, yeah. which I can relate to. Absolutely. Yes, you get that. <laughs> He's like, She's Julie... the hottest chick we've ever had up here. <laughs> thinking the same thing julie gianni's the hottest shit we've ever had up here (laughs) oh yeah david and sophia escape to sophia's apartment it's sort of a crash course of of falling in love they draw each other she draws kind of a hurtful (laughs) sketch (laughs) of like the The caricature Yeah. yeah a caricature he draws like a real thing and then she's embarrassed which i i do like that they were like, she says, oh, I thought we were drawing caricatures, as if that's just, like, a skill that anyone can do. Hers <laughs> is, like, even though it's, like, this cartoony, like, goofy thing, yeah, it like is, like, you, amazing. you were at, like, a circus or something. Yeah. How much for? One kiss. <laughs> that smile is going to be the end of me. What happens when your friend calls you tomorrow? He just met you a few hours before me. He'd do the same. I see that friendship is important to you. It is. It is. And as his best friend, I also know that he's trying to finish a novel about inadequacy and rejection. So the longer that I stay, the better it is for his career. Mm. Your career is the one I'd worry about. Sorry. No, no, you're more right than you even know. 
I used to be one of those guys that just uh, s snowboarding through his life with no focus whatsoever. When did you change? About five minutes ago. Every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. And then, you know, they don't have sex, and it's this whole thing about pleasure delaying to make it better later, which seems insane. I don't know. I can't believe that she's this into it, because I feel like you're supposed to take it that she is not a Julie Gianni type. She's, I don't know, I feel like she would see past his bullshit and not really be that into this, but I don't know. Well, that's the thing about this movie, when you realize what's actually happening later in the film... You do have to kind of question what is real, what is memory. Yes. What is more important between what is real and what is memory? Because a lot of times in most people's lives, memory outweighs what actually happened. I would say so, yeah. And is what we're seeing just his idealization of this magic night? Like, was it a pretty good night? And he's making it out to be this unbelievable Was this drawing thing? of her actually this good? Who knows? Because... I think in the audio commentary, Crow was like, even the part where she's like, what do you want to listen to, Jeff Buckley or Vicky Carr? This, like, Well, I think I would walk out of the apartment right then. <laughs> too pretentious. Yeah. It's just like this like perfect version of this person that likes what he wants her to like. And you know what I mean? Like, it's not quite yeah, real. Yep. But they watch this thing on TV, which is the first time we learn about life extension and Benny the dog who oh, yeah. was frozen and brought back to life. <laughs> and there's this company that will exist called Life Extension, the details of which we don't fully understand yet and we don't know, but this is the first inkling of it. And so because it happened on this night, the night before the crash and this special night that he always remembers, this will, of course, stick in his mind and Benny the dog will always be this recurring thing to him. Oh, yes. So they have this magical night, and then David leaves in the morning, unaware that Julie has followed them to Sophia's apartment. Highly questionable decision by David here. She pulls up right as David is about to get into his own car, and they picked this car out not really knowing how it would look and everything with Cameron Diaz, and it turns out that it matches her eyes like perfectly. Like The color yeah. of her eyes matches this car, and it actually adds to the eeriness of it. Yeah. And the way um, that the sun is shining is really strange. I feel like they do a really great job of making this seem suspenseful. Yeah. Because, by this point, I think we know that she's crazy. Right. But it, you're still not feeling like, what is she going to do? That, I think that's what you're thinking. Like, yeah. Like, what is she actually going to do? I mean, she's this tall, blonde drink of water who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you feel like. She might be a little crazy, but like you're not thinking murder or anything like that. You feel like he's safe to get in the car, but it but is. But it is strange off. that she's there. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. Now, okay, so there is a deleted, extended version of this scene that makes what happens seem worse for him and clearer. Because in the version that you see in the movie, yeah, I could never quite decide why he gets into the car with her like what is he thinking i know it does seem nuts they make it seem like he feels bad yeah or and so I, he's, he's just gonna try polite. to like, talk yeah. to her and be nice to her and sort of smooth things over well that's the thing he again i do think some of it goes back to the not wanting conflict he wants to end this but wants to try to do it in a way where it's like he can still feel like a, the good guy or like 
at least not the bad guy. In the deleted version, he's getting in the car to fuck her. Oh, okay. Which is less implicit in the wow. version they leave. Well, that makes Because she's basically like, let me do this, let me do that, or whatever. And then he's kind of just like, all right, well. Okay. <laughs> when you put it like that. He still doesn't understand that she's on this completely other level with their relationship. Yeah. He's thinking like, let the good times roll. I didn't have sex with Sophia yet. So it's one last bad decision because it's almost like this night with Sophia, he's decided to become this well, other guy. Well, that's the thing that's weird about that deleted scene is from watching the movie, it feels like these scenes, the sequences with Sophia is marking a change for him. But I guess like I guess with they wanted to make it more ambiguous, which is why they yeah. took out some of the dialogue that kind of makes it seem more like she's going to. I mean, you know, maybe blow him. I don't. I don't know exactly okay, what yeah. the idea is, but it definitely seems like she's trying to be more like seducing. Okay, and that he's kind of just like, yeah, all right, I guess <laughs> this is working. Yeah, and it's weird, and I think that's probably why they took it out because it kind of throws off like how you are thinking about it. But the bottom line is, I think they want you to. I think understand it works. It's a bad decision, and that I also it's a think selfish decision. Whatever he's doing, here. it works better if he's just not even interested anymore in the sex part. Like it's more brutal for her, and it's just like. You know, he's kind of moved on from this. Yeah, but if they're not going to go somewhere to fuck, then it's really hard to understand where they're going. That's true, or yeah. what they're doing. I guess my, my take always was, yeah, he was just getting in the car to talk to her, to try to yeah. calm the situation down. I definitely didn't down. pick up on that as much until listening to the audio commentary and how Crow was, like, framing that scene and then watching some of the deleted scenes and thinking, like, oh... Well, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. That's even worse of a decision. Exactly. Like, right. wow, yeah. he really is like a piece of shit. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I guess, like, I, I can... And that's why he apologizes Yeah. at the end of the movie to Sophia, because it's almost like he took one last selfish choice. And he's like, I lost you when I got in that car, is yeah. what he says at right. the end of the movie. And you could interpret that meaning like, well, yeah, because Julie Gianni fucked you up, or... I did something one I I couldn't stop being selfish even though I thought that I could. Right. I thought I was changed and then I was confronted with one last thing and I didn't because he doesn't It is so weird though that he put so much stock in this Sophia chick. I mean, you know, things could have gone bad there very quickly, you know? Well, yeah, but it was left suspended in this perfection of it's one true. night. It's true. Yes. And he never got to like complete Live it, it out, play it out. So the potential outweighed Yes. The reality of it. Because he is confronted in his real life before the lucid dream by Brian, who's just like, right. don't take this out on a girl you met once. And yes. he doesn't want to hear that. He's like, that upsets him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can relate I, to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't bring your reality into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live in my fantasy <laughs> of how this is. <laughs> so this scene, once he gets into the car, this choice is unbelievable. And it's shocking because the tone of this movie doesn't – you don't expect it to go this far. Oh, yeah. And I think like a lot of the – I remember being shocked like by, this, the, away yeah, by this. The first time I ever saw this, I, I remember like it ratcheting up here was definitely like a jarring – Do you think this should be the opening clip? <laughs> uh, it's certainly the most memorable scene from the movie for me. First, she's like, what's happiness to you, David? And that is something that will be repeated throughout the movie yeah. by m multiple characters. And then this crazy acceleration. She's flying through lights. 
and the revelation comes out this truth of she's in love with him and why can't he see that and he genuinely seems surprised by this which i guess makes him seem even more of an oblivious (laughs) guy right he's just like completely blown away by this while also simultaneously being like can you slow down (laughs) yeah he's trying to get her to calm down eventually you know before she actually drives off the road he's like I, okay i love you oh yeah which is even sadder in a way and oh, man it turns into an attempted murder slash suicide the way that it's filmed and just the way the crash itself is so cool and so different from how most movies i think would do it because it feels and sounds and looks so real yeah there's no like crazy explosions or like dramatic it's just all of a sudden, like, boom. It's, like, silent up until it hits it. And this it's just a generic, like, thud. And then just silence. And I know. And then people come running down the, from far away. Well, the whole argument in the car, the heightened feeling as this scene is uh, kicking it up a notch. And, like, even through the crash. Everything about this, just there's so much reality there. In a way that, like, I feel like the rest of the movie doesn't feel this way again. We had sex four times oh David. yeah i swallowed your cum. i mean hearing that <laughs> hearing like an actress say that was like shocking this is to why me. cameron diaz got the mask and yeah why she became a star i mean she's just going for it oh yeah in a way that some people would probably be too shy to fully commit to this character but she's like how crazy do you want me to be i'll crank it up to 11 really yeah Later on, where she does that thing like directly into the camera, where she's like laughing and smiling, but it's like crazy looking. Oh yeah, genuinely haunting. Yeah, she is incredible in this movie. (laughs) It slides into a dream of Sophia in Central Park in the fall, and it is a lucid dream because David is aware he's dreaming at a certain point, and the idea is ruined because he looks normal. He understands that something happened. There was a crash, but he seems okay. And he's talking to her, and then he realizes he's dreaming, and the whole thing fades away. And when he wakes up, we are in a completely different world. Julie is dead, and David is drastically disfigured. Oh, yeah. However, no plastic surgery could be done due to him being in a coma for several weeks. He has blinding migraines and nerve damage. It seems shocking that this is it, though, that those were the choices. Like, this is just it. There's no other plastic surgery options. Well, I think what we're seeing is the plastic surgery post. Like, once there's, like, so much damage, like, I don't know. Okay. I mean, maybe they could have done more, but, you know, it's a movie. I get it. He seems to think there's a conspiracy narrative pretty early on here that somehow the The board board is is involved. Yeah. He starts chasing after Sophia in a way, but where she doesn't see him, and he's kind of just haunting the streets with his fucked up face, wearing like a hat and sunglasses. Yeah. It's this pursuit of something that never got to happen. And yeah, he which just is. can't get over it. It is. I mean, it's certainly a feeling that I get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's a lot of those type of things. Absolutely. In the past. But ultimately, David withdraws and grows more and more depressed post-accident doctors can't do anything except offer a facial prosthetic and (laughs) they're very careful not to say the word mask so that he can freak out and do a tom cruise-esque moment that's right yeah it's a fucking mask where he's like (laughs) dancing and jumping (laughs) it's so crazy yeah it is nuts though i mean they're acting like this thing is a facial prosthetic right (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Is this better than just having a disfigured face? 
I don't know. <laughs> it looks so ridiculous. David goes to see Sophia finally, and he comes lurching into her like dance studio like the fucking Phantom of the Opera. That's right, yeah. And my first thought here, watching this, I mean, it's unclear how much time has gone by. It seems like months at the, at the least. Well, that's true. He was in a coma for a while. Yeah, and he's fully healed, and he's able to walk around. So it seems like months have gone by, at the very least, since the accident. But He's still stuck on this night. She's still single, yeah. somehow. In New York fucking wow. city. Yeah. There's no one that wants to date Penelope Cruz, right. apparently. She's just constantly single throughout I know. the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's busy. She works a lot. So he's ready to try to see her. She, of course, is kind of like freaked out a little bit she tried to see him when he was in the hospital but his people wouldn't let her in oh wow but she's like okay she seems like she's supposed to be this pure at heart type character so i mean she has a hard time adjusting to his face but she's willing to talk to him and give this thing a chance at least of like hanging out yeah i mean they're not like together she's not kissing him but okay i'll hang out with you (laughs) and so they go to this club it's brian sophia and david and it's a confrontation with a new reality. And there's a lot of anger, resentment, and regret. And David is kind of just this bitter person. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he'd be very fun to hang out with at this point. The club is bathed in blue light. It's this EDM techno paradise oh, of yeah. the early 2000s. David, with a fucked up face, brings his mask. He's getting hammered. Brian wants him to not have the mask on. Yeah, really. David's like kind of getting into a confrontation with the bartender but then they're hitting it off and all of a sudden they're drinking all this patron and then in a very bizarre moment uh losers can come together over booze (laughs) (laughs) i know from experience in a truly bizarre moment there's a recreation of their one of their first conversations the saddest girl to ever hold a martini conversation oh yeah from their first night together which is weird that he knows it word for word what both of them said and then she sort of jumps in. Yeah, he's a little too into this. Is doing it with her. But then when she kind of realizes who they're talking about and what they're talking about, and they get to the saddest girl to ever hold a martini, she kind of like, I don't know, her face changes where she's like, this is weird that we're talking about this. This really woman committed suicide and like tried to kill you, basically. Yeah. Why are we joking about this now? <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to Brian and... David walking Sophia home. David is being insulting and kind of a drunken ass at this point. When they get close to where Sophia lives, she wants to kind of separate herself. And she says, we'll meet up soon. Yeah. Soon. Right. Which is what he used to always tell Julie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When are you going to call me? That's kind of his move. And he would say soon. And he kind of can feel a blow off. Yeah. Because he's the king of giving blow offs. Right. (laughs) And he confronts Brian about what he said to Julie the night of the accident. And Brian denies it, but Jason Lee, maybe his best acting in this yeah. movie is when he's like, he just kind of says, denies it, and then starts looking away. Like he's thinking, like, what, what did I say? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> maybe it is my fault. <laughs> Eventually, he upsets Brian to the point where he takes off as well, and David's left alone to wallow in the streets he passes out spends the night in the street yes and even though it looked freezing i feel like he would be dead but whatever oh i know this seems insane there's a part where they're having a conversation he would be like mugged or something there's no one else around 
before Brian leaves, there's this part where they're talking and the camera's cutting back and forth. And then all of a sudden, there's this guy that walks behind Tom Cruise. And I, and I guess in real life, this was a person that just was like walking around and needed okay. to go get by. And they yeah. were like, yeah, yeah, just walk through. They wanted it to look more real. Like there right, were people right. around. There was just no one around because it was so cold when they yeah. were filming. Gotcha. And this guy walks behind Tom Cruise and he has a white beanie on. Okay. But yeah. when you watch it in regular motion, it looks like he has Tom Cruise's mask on his head. Oh, wow. The way that Tom Cruise wears yeah, the mask yeah. behind his head. And Cameron Crowe was like talking about how everyone would come up and ask about this. And they thought he was the guy had a mask. And they were just like, well, I guess we should act like this was on purpose or whatever. But it is <laughs> just a hat. And I, because I, I watched it several times. Because when you watch it in regular speed and you don't know it's coming, and then the guy's like already kind of halfway through the screen before you realize there's a guy walking. It does look exactly like a mask on wow. his head for a second. But then when you watch it and you're really paying attention, you're like, oh, it's a white beanie. <laughs> it's just a really weird that moment is weird, yeah. in the movie where you're just like, well, who's this guy with a mask? But anyway, so this is the big moment. This is the moment where yeah, everything so, really changes. Right. So This is where they now draw a line. And we're going to spoil things on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. As we go. There's we're no reason to go back. We're not going to circle back yeah. and explain everything. So this is the moment where reality stops. And we are going to be put onto a timeline that will include the lucid dreaming, though we don't know this at the time. And the first time you watch this movie, you have no idea really what what's changed yeah. or what's happening. But the accident is real. The facial injury is real. Yeah. And David's life has been fucked up. And so he will eventually explore other options in life. Right. <laughs> to get out of it. Because who wouldn't? I mean... I, Believe me, a big part of watching this movie was me wishing this was real. <laughs> like, let me do this right now. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it today, this <laughs> second. <laughs> Please. David, I'm not going to lie to you. I like the way you looked. But you have to pull it the fuck together. Because if not, I'll forget the other guy. You know that other guy? You? I'm still that guy. I'm still that guy. Listen, I don't have a mother, savior, bone in my body. It's not about that. You are coming inside. But if this turns out to be a big mistake, I do have the ability to fall out of love with you. Like that. Uh -huh. The next morning after passing on the street, he's woken up into this strange reality. It looks weird. You can almost tell right away. That Something's the sky off. looks yeah. off, and it's like the vanilla sky from Monet's paintings, and the voice of Sophia is saying, open your eyes. Right. Just like the beginning of the movie. And then for a second, she's Julie Gianni. She's like, it flashes, and she says, boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so right away, his subconscious is fucking with him. Yeah, yeah. And a big part of this movie that I don't know if they hammer home enough is guilt, and it's guilt about what he did to Julie. It's guilt about what he did to Brian. It's guilt about all of his past behavior. And that's really why this stuff is happening to him. Yes. Why this lucid dream turns into a nightmare, which is basically what happens. And so they start this life together, Sophia and David. She is willing to give it another chance, despite the fact that he's deformed and he was Deformed and he was an asshole, yeah. And it really becomes like, what movie are we watching now? Like, everything kind of changes. Well, that's the thing. It's it like, how perfect weird. is Sophia? 
I yeah, mean, and it's, it's this like, montage this of a romance yeah. where you're just like, what what is happening now? Like his face is fucked up, but they're kind of having this romantic relationship now. Yeah. And he says in the narration where he's talking to McCabe, he's like, we created our own world. So, of course, we okay. don't. Yeah. The first time you watch the movie, you don't literally understand that he's creating this world. But we see different things from his life that he's liked from movies and pop culture. And that sort of works their way into his idealized right. relationship with Sophia. There are further conversations with McCabe, and McCabe tells him that he was calling out for Ellie in his sleep. Oh, yeah. And now this part, I definitely did not understand for most of the times ever watching the same. movie. I had no idea who Ellie was. I'm like, when you watch it with subtitles, they say Ellie the name, E-L-L-I-E. And so you're like, who the fuck is I Ellie? I know. Who are we introducing to this now? L-E is L-E. L period E. Right. Life extension. But we don't know that yet. And David doesn't remember it yet. And the entire thing with McCabe, the whole point of McCabe, is his subconscious trying to remind him that he's dreaming. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Inception shit. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> In fact, when they're in the bar later and all the people start like looking at him when he's talking to tech support in the bar... Yeah. That almost feels like it had to have been some influence on Inception. Do I like Vanilla Sky as much as I like Inception or David Lynch stuff or Fight Club? It's like, no. I mean, it's a little rougher. It, it The ending isn't as great, and there's some issues with it. But sure. this is like a blueprint for a lot of the cool shit that I do like. Yeah, I would agree with that. His subconscious is calling out to him through these life extension commercials on the tv yeah in michael shannon the the guard at this prison but he's still not getting it yet he's not putting the pieces together mccabe reveals though before we see it that doctors managed to fix david's face which is another weird twist and as we're going along well yeah because you don't understand what you're seeing you're like at this point okay (laughs) because mccabe is just like yeah, but they did fix your face, though. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Did they? Because in the conversations with McCabe, he's always been wearing the mask. Right. So we go back to the story, back to this recounting of events. And David is headed into this new surgery that's been invented, singing What If God Was One Of Us. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a cool soundtrack cue. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, doctor's think- talking about Madonna songs. Cameron Crowe, I think, picked the Joan Osborne song just because the doctor's kind of acting like God in the scene yeah. and, and being able to do something beyond what anyone previously thought was possible. But during the surgery, we see a familiar face for those of us who have seen Almost Famous, the actor Noah Taylor. He's playing a character named Edmund Ventura. That's true. Yeah. This is the first time the camera focuses on him. At this point, we don't really know who he is. And somehow... David's face is miraculously fixed with this new mysterious process. <laughs> yeah. And his seemingly perfect life pre-accident has been restored. Getting back on track. He's in bed with Sophia and she asks, is this a dream? Oh, no. And then he recreates the Free Will and Bob Dylan cover, which even the first time I saw this in the theater as like a teenager, I was like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> All of a sudden, him and Sophia are wearing like kind of older looking clothes, and then like the Volkswagen bug is old, or the van there, and it's just like it looks old. And I'm like, that's the Bob Dylan cover. What is happening? Yeah, right. But like, you don't know. 
even if you get the references and, and you see the what's actually things, happening like, here yeah you're still like i don't understand what's happening but you you do understand that something weird is going on Absolutely. you just don't know what yeah. it could possibly be they had to recreate this on a studio lot because they found the actual street in new york where that picture was taken for the cover of the album and it okay. just did not look the same at gotcha. all yeah. they couldn't make it look the same and so they just had to recreate it on a lot noah taylor's character is still hanging around in the just background. sort of lurking yeah meanwhile david is also haunted by visions of his fucked up face he wakes up there's almost like a horror movie sequence where he goes and looks in the mirror and he turns the light on and his face is fucked up. That's right, yeah. And then in the bed, that's why you... Sophia's screaming. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's basically like any chick that's ever woken up <laughs> with me. But just this, screaming. This is why, uh, by this point in the movie, it is so hard. But before you've made it to the end, of course, it is so hard to try to believe what you're seeing. You're, you're already having this thing, wait, did his face actually get fixed? <laughs> yeah, there's so many things swirling right. around. It's so complicated to even figure out what all is important what isn't important what is happening what isn't happening who knows and i think for sure to fully appreciate the movie i think vanilla sky definitely demands at least two viewings sure yeah and again i mean we've talked about this in regard to other movies that's not always a positive for people i can't necessarily convince especially if it's over two hours this much time in it but yeah i think I think if you watch the movie a couple of times, you, you'll pick up on so much more yes. the more times you watch it. So then it's almost like a dream within a dream within a dream because oh, he no. wakes up and his face isn't fucked up. And he goes into the bathroom. He almost like goofs on himself for how he reacted before. His face is fine. And then he comes back to bed. And you you know where this is going. As oh, yeah. soon as you don't see Sophia's face, you're like... Oh boy! <laughs> and those arms wrap around him, and then all of a sudden, those blonde hairs That's start right. coming yes. up over his shoulder, and you're like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> Sophie becomes Julie. This is just a perfect scene. It's so weird and twisted, and as we've mentioned several times, but this Dia's is just going for it, hammering it out. Well, of the absolutely, park here. she's great, uh, of course. Again, but this is it gets into that thing where you're just like, "Okay, am I just waiting for every second to be like a a wake up moment?" Yeah, but it never really turns into that. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is why it's so weird, because yeah. you're just like, what is happening? Right. It's so hard to get a read on where this is going when you don't already know. Like, the first time totally. you see it, you it's impossible to say where this is headed next at any given moment. Yeah, and it gets uh, even further off the rails. So he's like, where is Sophia? And she's like, wake up, man. Yeah, so many really. characters keep telling him to wake up over and over again. I could listen to you say for the rest of my life. Baby, what's wrong? Where is she? Who? 
Sofía. Now I'm gonna make sure that I tie it four times. You know why, Julie? Because four times really means something. Okay, I'm freaked out. It worked. You know you're not gonna get away with this. So just tell me right now, where is Sophia? I'm Sophia. Where's Sophia? I am Sophia! Where is she? Where I is she? Sophia. I'm calling the police. And then you can tell it to them. You survived the accident. What Whose accident? body was it? Whose body what was the board? It was the seven dwarves, wasn't it? I wasn't it? In You're an trying accident. to steal my life! Of course you weren't in an accident, and now it's fucking attempted murder! I'm Sophia. Please. You tell it to them. Oh my god. Yeah, this is David Ames. This is David Ames. I need help. I have, I have an intruder. I've captured an intruder who's entered my home. <laughs> oh, God. Wake up, man. <laughs> David ends up arrested. He, like, ties her up in, like, this kind of, like, almost sexy bondage situation. <laughs> yeah. But he ends up arrested, and then he's bailed out of the situation by the lawyer, Tommy. But he shows... Yeah, sort of a shady deal had to go down. David pictures of Julie who has bruises all over her face, and Tommy is referring to Julie as Sophia, which is really fucking with David because he doesn't know what is going I on. I know. This is this has gotten so out of control he now. Trying to Julie keep is this dead, but now he's thinking the board somehow faked Julie's death. And you bring it up a lot. Like, can you trust the perspective this is coming from? Now it's like no, David Ames obviously. seems so unreliable. What is actually happening? These other people are seeing the results of something that happened. Well, it's a really difficult thing to portray in a movie, which would be something happens to a character and you only ever see it through that character's eyes. So you're convinced what you saw was real, but then something happens after the fact that conflicts with that and almost suggests that it didn't happen. So you're like, if you were that person, like if this happened in your real life, like... (laughs) You got okay. in a car yeah. with Lindsay, and then she drove wow. it off a bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could happen. Because of something you did. <laughs> and your face was all fucked this up. This is probably closer to reality than I even want to think about. And then, like, after the fact, you like you think she's dead, and then all of a sudden, she's not. And she's <laughs> just, like, fucking with you. And then how would you react to that? So to have this character, like, Tom Cruise is portraying this character who is like believing that what he experienced actually happened. And then to have that rug pulled out from you, if you could ever imagine a scenario of that, of just being like, your first thought would be like reviewing things in your head, like what you thought were memories. But also, did that really happen? (laughs) Did I remember that right? How did the board set this up to like fuck with me? What did they do? How did they do this? I don't know what happened. Exactly, because it's so unbelievable because it's like, He's the one that called the cops in this situation. Yes. So, like, whatever his memory or his version of what happened is so out of line with what other people think happened. Well, I'm talking about the original accident. Well, yeah. His memory of that. Yeah, right. He's convinced that what he remembers is real, and so she's dead. And then all of a sudden, she's not dead. I know. And then he calls the cops, and then because But then it's not just that she's not dead. Also, he has some memory of tying her up and then calling the cops, but- then all these people are like, what the fuck did you do to her? Well, that almost seems like dream logic. You know how yeah, like, yeah. in a dream, sometimes you just kind of skip ahead and all of a sudden something else is happening. Right. And then you're like, no, no, no. 
then wait. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so then Brian shows up and he confronts David and he's like, don't ever hit a girl. <laughs> really? Yeah. Such a weird scene. But this scene. And this I guess, is a weird thing because it's like Brian shows up for what? To just to yell at him and basically well, this say is, this is the end of our friendship? Well, Matt, I hate to keep coming back to this, but this is not real. <laughs> None of this is real. I know, but I'm trying the to like buy it. The point of this yeah. scene is because David is guilty about taking Sophia from Brian. And that right. somehow works its way into this conversation yeah, for yeah. no reason. Yes. Where Brian's like, she was my dream girl. Because <laughs> Brian is talking about Sophia, but David thinks they're talking about Julie because that's the one that he called the cops on. But you have right. to remember, Brian is there is no Julie in, in this version of Brian's mind because he thinks <laughs> right. David beat up Sophia, got arrested. Now he's being released from prison, and now Brian's flipping out about it. Yeah. So he's like, "My dream girl, and you took her from me." And blah, you know. And this is just his subconscious feeling guilty over what he's done to Brian probably multiple times. Right. Afterward, David is at a bar when he is approached by this Edmund Ventura guy, played by Noah Taylor, who's been lurking around. Ventura tells David, you and I know each other. We found each other on the internet, (laughs) which sounds weird. (laughs) Yeah, really. Craigslist. There's some references to this contract, and he tells David that he can control this world, and David seemingly does when he tells everyone to shut the fuck up, and then there's complete silence, and everyone's looking at him. Which is a creepy part. This it kind of feels like a Stanley Kubrick scene. Yeah, I think the first time you're watching this movie, especially if you saw it in the theater, you're thinking like, "Okay, I have no idea what I'm watching anymore." This is <laughs> yeah. just keeps going further off the rails. Yeah, right. Because I'm sure a lot and of this people. This is so. I feel of all the weirdness that's happened, this is the first thing through David's perspective that. Well, I guess obviously like Julie being in the bed is probably the other one. But <laughs> yeah, I would say Julie being alive all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. and just suddenly. Okay, there. that's the first one, but like. Of something really, like, weird that's having, like, a whole bunch of random characters that aren't Julie or Sophia. I mean, it's just such a shocking moment. Everyone is reacting to him just saying something. This guy, Ventura, refers to himself as tech support. He's kind of insinuating here that David's subconscious has turned against itself. David doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And in conversations with McCabe, it seems as if those are essentially entirely a means of trying to remember the truth trying to figure out what is happening and so the first time you see it you don't really understand that but once you learn the truth you learn that McCabe isn't even real either and none of this is real and that it's his subconscious battling in this dream state against itself like there's a part of him that keeps pushing through to be like remember Julie Gianni and what happened. Remember what you did to Brian. Remember that this isn't real. Remember this is a dream. And then McCabe tells him, you understand you hold the keys to this prison, which you think he means metaphorically. Right. But you could take that to mean you literally. You can leave here right now. This is all your yeah. creation. And it is kind of an echo of the keys to the kingdom that he held in his real life. Pressed by McCabe, David remembers the incident that has landed him in this cell. He goes to Sophia's apartment only to find Julie's face has replaced Sophia on everything, every photo, everything he looked at that first night in Sophia's apartment, even the sketch he drew the night they met. It's now Julie, not Sophia. 
Julie shows up. <laughs> this is a nightmare now. Attacks him. Says, I thought you were a vandal. Which yeah. is such a weird thing to say. Then turns back into Sophia when she goes into the bathroom. For some reason, he instantly is like, let's have sex. <laughs> and so they're having sex when she turns back into Julie. It's complete insanity. He doesn't know what's going on. And I guess out of shock and confusion, David suffocates Julie only he's like, it's for it time to, go. to turn into Sophia after he's oh, killed no. her. Yeah. And he's arrested for murder, which we don't really see. So the first time you're watching this, you <laughs> could think that these are all hallucinations from brought on by his accident. What's happened to well, him? Well, I remember thinking the medication, that whatever. Maybe he was just in a coma. I, I remember well, thinking that. Yeah, that, that's definitely like, one of the people's interpretations yeah. of everything. But upon a second viewing, you start to see everything stuffed with clues. The chalkboard in the room with McCabe has dreams written on it and ba- backwards. There's just okay, like all yeah, different right. shit throughout the entire movie. There's so much of it. They overload you with it, really. That once you know the truth, it's almost annoying how many clues yeah, they've right, thrown yeah. into everything. But again, the first time you watch it, why would you notice any of it? So the last half hour post-murder is kind of a bummer to me. There are parts of it that I like, but this is one of those movies that would benefit a lot from like leaving some of these things more up in the air. That's true, yeah. Where you kind of have to like the explanation almost feels disappointing. Yeah, it well, it wouldn't feel disappointing if you came up with it based on the clues that you've gotten you to this point. But it's disappointing to just have someone literally tell you everything, (laughs) which is basically what happens. So it's Benny the dog on the TV. In Michael Shannon, I'm just referring to him as Michael Shannon. Yeah, the guard, the security room guard, that triggers the memory of life extension enough for David to call McKay back into the room. For some reason, they're able to just take a trip out <laughs> of the jail. Which I mean, again, it's just, right. It's, it's a dream, so unbelievable, so ridiculous. So they go to the life extension office. It's McCabe and this guard and David. It is important to remember that the office that they go to and the staff and everything are not real this is all still part of this lucid dream none of these people exist anymore we're going to find out that it's 150 years since the start this is david's memory filling in the gaps of what he is experiencing now yeah what a wild thing to throw in subconscious reminding him of these things 150 years it makes it basically feel like yeah, you wish wow. that there would still be a chance. That's the thing. It's like, okay, so Sophia. Sophia's irrelevant now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is one of the best lines where he's yeah. like, I'm frozen and you're dead. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's just like, eh. Right. <laughs> that whole thing where she's like, I'll tell you in another life when we were both cats. I guess it's like something she said to Cameron Crowe when they were like arguing about something. Oh, wow. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to put this in the movie. Because <laughs> I was like, that's such a weird. It is. Yeah. It's randomly throwing. specific. Libby, played by Alicia Witt, is the front desk girl. She's sort of the first person yeah. to meet up with McCabe. Our B girl. And, and uh, I thought it was D girl. Oh, D girl. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Basically, what life extension is, is this cryonization or cryonic suspension in a lucid dream state where the clients pay money to them, and then when they die, they remain somehow alive. I wasn't really clear on that I, part of neither. it. Me neither. Because I get it if like if you went into the dream state or the frozen state when you were still alive, but if all brain activity ceased when you died, how are they reviving you? I don't know. 
I don't know enough about the technology. They don't really explain <laughs> right. that part of it. We meet Rebecca Dearborn, played by Tilda Swinton. She explains pretty much how this process works and what they're doing. This had little shades of Eternal Sunshine, I felt like. This whole thing a about this bit, company. Yeah. I mean, this predates Eternal Sunshine yeah. by a few years. But right. Yeah. I just mean, I know it You know, went on a few years beyond this, but better still, living those through technology of, yeah those types of ideas it finally dawns on david that he is within his own lucid dream he freaks out when he finally removes his mask in this timeline this updated current timeline to reveal his face has never been fixed which doesn't fully make sense other than it's a dream so his face was fixed in the dream but then it just I went know. back to being unfixed yeah. in the dream he escapes McCabe and the guard calling for tech support. This is the part that's so different in the alternate ending, which we'll get to in a minute. He dashes into an elevator, which takes him to the lobby, which is now completely empty. It had been very busy before. A random elevator door then opens in the lobby, revealing Edmund Ventura, tech support, the strange man from the bar. He says it's time for a proper reintroduction. <laughs> really? Yeah. I need to explain a few things to you. It's an impossibly long elevator ride. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that they first met 150 years ago. David asks, when did it begin? And this is when we find out the day of the nightclub, when he passed out in the street. That's the moment David chose for the splice. He chose it. Basically, what happened was it's a recreation of life based on the iconography of his youth, including Free Will and Bob Dylan, To Kill a Mockingbird, the romantic aesthetic of... Audrey Hepburn and everything else. Yep. All starting with Monet's Vanilla Skies. And it picks up right at that moment. So instead of waking up on the street alone, which is what really happened, he wakes up with Sophia waking him up and they begin this new life. That's when the dream began. Yes. In this dream, Sophia is his savior. And it's interesting because we've talked about the manic pixie dream girl shit. And right. Like how yeah, these absolutely. Girls. But this movie is almost like acknowledging that. Yeah, like, like the old, because the only version of that existing is just in his dream. Yeah, they're like world. you don't really not, know her, right. but you had this one great night, and then you projected a lot onto her, and that became your whole savior in your dream. That's true. Yeah, she really was just kind of this girl that was interested in you, and then you made a bad decision, and then fucked everything up, and. She tried to hang in there, but you just became this other person after the accident because you were so hung up on your looks, and she kind of bailed. She didn't know you that well, so it probably wasn't like... I mean, she clearly they do say that she never got over it later, which is kind of weird to yeah, right. throw that in there. <laughs> when, they, when they're like, well, she did attend your three-day wake or whatever, and she was crying, but, you know, <laughs> <Right>. whatever. <laughs> but, you know, the point is, she didn't know him that well. He goes off into his own sadness, and she's just like, I can't deal with this. And then he does what he does, which we're going to get to in a minute. Because That's what right. really happened was, after that night at the club, he never saw Sophia again. With help from Tommy, David does regain control of his father's company from the Seven Dwarves after his accident. However, that's like his last gasp, because once that's accomplished, he just retreats further and further into his own depression yeah. and pain. And so he finds this company called Life Extension He through the internet. He signs a contract with them and then commits suicide by taking all these pills in a random really? motel room. And throughout the film, Quite there are moments out. where they splice that in, yeah. where he's not sure what that memory is 
of himself True. in a mirror in a bathroom that he doesn't recognize kind and of I collapsing mean, to the ground. They do talk about, though, that it's not just, you know, his depression and everything. Like, he's, like, having such a hard time dealing with the pains from these migraines yes. as well, eating away at him. Yeah, I mean, the accident ruined his life. Right. In a, many different ways. After he commits suicide, Brian throws a three-day memorial at the Dakota apartment. Sophia attends. Isn't that... What we all just really want, though. I think when so. When we die. Yeah. Just some unbelievably hot chick showing up and being, like, weeping. Yeah, you're like, damn, sadness. that's awesome. It'd almost be worth not actually having her in real life. Absolutely. To get that reaction at the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but over time, within this lucid dream, the dream became a nightmare. It turned against him. And so everything became fucked up. And that's why he needed to remind himself he was dreaming. Because if he didn't, he would have just been on this endless nightmare of like being in prison for this murder. And you know what I mean? That's why his subconscious is trying to jolt him out of this. Right. Like, dude, wh- you're going down a path. Here. What do you, <laughs> yeah. What do you do? Do you want to spend eternity in prison? <laughs> like, what yeah. are you doing? Right. The dream has turned into a nightmare. They emerge. But we on could the write rooftop, the ship high above the clouds. It's New York city as remembered by David. It's not quite accurate. Tech support tells David that while they have fixed his lucid dream, he does have the choice of either returning to his dream with no memory of any of this or to be woken up in reality requiring a literal leap of faith off of the roof that will wake him up from his sleep. Which is, again, Inception-like. You know, yes. The fall, the I definitely the thought that too. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind, this is 150 years in the future. Everyone David knows is dead. And tech support or this Ventura guy is basically telling him, like, you do have your money, but that will run out quickly. You're not going to have the same resources. So much has changed. Yeah, yeah, right. Everything will be different. This isn't just like you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to go bang Sophia and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. The world you knew is gone. In the extended alternative ending he says a lot more things like people live for 200 years now and stuff. oh wow like there's okay. there's a lot of like lines thrown there but david opts to wake up despite one last vision of mccabe running out onto the roof mccabe is his idealized father figure we know from the flashes of to kill a mockingbird what david wishes sure. a father yeah. would have been like in his life because his own father loomed large over him but never really had much of a connection with yeah mccabe's very interested in what's going on with david mccabe's warning him against it it's kind of actually funny when he's being confronted mccabe is with the reality that he's not real right the way that russell does that scene is so great he's like i'm real i'm real (laughs) he just like he doesn't know what else to say right i'm real (laughs) like fucking jennifer lopez before jumping did you not think that was funny (laughs) I thought that was a good joke. Uh, it was good. Yeah. The song, I'm Real? I get it. Um, Did you? I- I'm just, I'm wearing down. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to do that, to call you out on that. Okay, thanks. Before, jo- <laughs> I just thought that would be funny. It is. How do I wake up? The decision is yours. And I chose this scenario, didn't I? Yes, to face your last remaining fear of heights. David, don't listen to him. 
You were right. This is the Seven Dwarfs. It's a setup. You can't trust him. Don't feel bad for him, David. This winning man is your creation, and it's in his nature to fight for his existence, but he's not real. I'm real. <laughs> I'm real. I have two daughters, and you know that. What are their names? I'm real. I'm... I'm... Mortality as home entertainment? This cannot be the future! Can it? It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you, David? I want to live a real life. Before jumping, David envisions Brian, who in the regular version of the movie, he doesn't even really talk to. And then he envisions Sophia to say his goodbyes. And I, my note here was like, should he have also envisioned Julie to apologize? I know. It seems yeah, like it is. We're leaving that hanging there. Right. I guess in the context of a movie, you're like, well, she's been portrayed as like this psycho, and she does something rather unforgivable. I mean, I she know she takes he did it a little far. Yeah, for sure. Yes, but like the movie does flirt with the idea of feeling sympathy for her several times. I know, but is he ever even though? I mean, I think he does a lot of self-reflection through all this, but I don't know if he's fully realizing, like, everything that he did that led up to the Julie thing. Yeah, I think if they were to remake this now, they probably would have to, like, make it a lot more about that. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, not that they would ever remake this now. No. I mean, this just is not a movie for 2020. This is so much a movie for 2001. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's weird, because... By this point, the audience knows that this isn't really Sophia. So, like, their last goodbye, it doesn't even really pack the emotional punch. You know what I mean? I do, yes. We know that this isn't even Sophia, so what does it matter what he's saying to her? I don't know. David jumps off of the building, and his life flashes before his eyes, before hitting the ground. And it's this pretty cool collection of shit. That's true. Mixed in with, like, Tom Cruise's, like, real home movies and old pictures yeah that's but pretty with, cool. like a lot of pop culture stuff and movies and album titles and again in the alternate ending one julie and sophia's voice both are over parts of this right get yeah. taken out okay in the finished version because she's like what's happiness to you david <laughs> you know that line <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to think about i guess when your life is flashing before your eyes <laughs> something really? that she said right before she tried to kill you <laughs> And then a female voice, not Sophia, not Julie, says, open your eyes. 
and David does, and then it's the end of the movie. Yeah, which it does make you wonder, do they just have attendants on standby ready to pull well, someone they, out of this? They've gone above and beyond making you understand there's like people monitoring what he's thinking, yeah. and so they know, I guess, that this right. is about to happen. Yeah. I guess. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. the logic is like so crazy by this point that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it is strange, though, to choose to wake up here. Because I would never. I would just be like, start over. Let's just do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like. Why would you want to wake up? That just seems like it would be so hard to like try to get yourself reinserted into society. Yeah, I think like the point is like. I feel like you would life. go insane. You know, which whether this is train spotting or anything else, like choose yeah. life. but. They shouldn't have made it 150 years then. Because right. Because then, I, I know. Mean, you, like you said, it, it, you don't know anyone. Literally no one. You yeah. know no one at all on Earth. Yeah, how long before, like, another suicide? <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is a mistake. I'm going back in. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be cool, but it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So the alternative ending picks up basically in the office with Rebecca Dearborn. There's like a little more to that conversation. And then when he bursts out of her office, he goes into a bathroom and there's this extended scene with McCabe okay. talking about yeah. it. McCabe conv- trying to convince him that this is real. And even by that point, David is like, no, this is a dream. And, and McCabe is like trying to talk him out of it. Then he bursts out of the bathroom and that's when he knocks Michael Shannon down, which is what you see. Yes. In the- completed version but then there's this insane sequence that goes on in the lobby which is full of people unlike in the version we see which is empty where it's like this whole thing of like is this real is this not real he grabs a gun there's like a shootout with michael shannon he kills michael shannon there's blood everywhere then there's like a swat team that comes in and mccabe is trying to like get them to stop and then oh, they like wow. open fire, and then like him and McCabe are shot, and like crash onto the ground. It, like turns into the, the movie Mother. And then when they wake up, it's just them, and they're not shot. And that's when like McCabe is like kind of freaking out because he's starting to think like, well, well this doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And David's like, this is all a dream. Then he gets onto the elevator, but instead of like the version you see when he gets onto the elevator with Ventura and there's no one else there, instead McCabe's like, where are you going? What are you doing? It's a little different. Their conversation, as far as like tech support and David, is kind of the same. There's just more to it. There's more lines. And then on the, when they get to the roof, there's more to that. He says more things to him. He explains more. And he does talk to Brian, which he doesn't really do in True. the final yeah. version. There's like more to that. The stuff with Penelope Cruz is essentially the same. And then there's like a little bit more to the life flashing before the eyes, like I said, Julie and Sophia voiceover. And then the woman that says, open your eyes, says more. She's like, you're, okay. you're going to be fine or something. Wow. I don't know. There's just a little bit more. And that's pretty much it. Which version makes more sense? Probably the version they picked. Yeah, it, it goes like on it. such a wild tangent right. with like the shootout and everything. It doesn't really fit with this movie at all. Yeah, and there's already like so much that's happened. And even this last sequence... The version that they use feels like it goes on for a while. Yeah, I would be in favor of a much more condensed version. Yeah, like, okay. I would actually take way more out of it. You want to give a little bit. You don't want it to end in a way that's going to like completely piss off 90% of the audience, which is like no explanation. <laughs> right. But you didn't need to explain nearly all of this stuff. You needed to leave it a little more open-ended. Yeah. Which brings us to the interpretation. So okay. as you started to talk about at the beginning... <laughs> Which was completely off topic. 
there's five major interpretations that people have that Cameron Crowe brought up. So the first one is that tech support is telling the truth and what we see as far as an explanation is what you're supposed to believe. Yeah. That's kind of the way I take it. I don't really know Same. where yeah. if there's really evidence point. that there's I think I could be convinced like there's other ones that I would be interested in wanting to believe, but this is the way that I take it. The second is that everything is a dream from the first second to the last second. <laughs> because in David's old hot rod car or whatever that is, that classic Mustang. Yeah, right. There's a sticker that says O two slash thirty slash O one. Yeah. There's no such date as February thirtieth. Right. Ever. Yeah. Especially in the year two thousand one. So people are like, that's not a real date. None of this is real. I you wanna know what would be really disappointing about that? <laughs> it's like, what is the point of any of it then if it's just like there is no it's point. all a dream? I'd be like, that would piss me off. Well, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> what would be the... Yeah, Why I would... Mean, like, making a movie about a dream would is like... That doesn't mean anything beyond that. I know. The third one is the events following the crash form a dream that occurs while David is in a coma. So basically, everything up to yeah. the crash is real. Everything with life extension and all that shit and his face and everything is a dream. I can buy that one. Yeah, that one theoretically makes sense. Yeah. It keeps it grounded in reality because there it, you know, we're 20 years after the events of this movie basically and we've still have, we're not we don't have this technology, so right. yeah. it remains science fiction and so then if you're like, well, all of that shit is not real, then okay. Again though, what is the point? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Right. The entire film is the plot of the book Brian is writing stupid yeah absolutely why would that be an interpretation yeah i don't get that at all the only thing i can think of is that part where him and brian almost crash when the dump truck almost hits him at the beginning of the movie and brian says something like i'm about to die and your life flashed before my eyes or something and he was like how was it or something and he was like worth it i don't know (laughs) something like that but yeah, yeah i mean there's really nothing to that as far as i can tell and then the last one is hallucination caused by the drugs administered during David's reconstructive surgery. These seem less like interpretations and more like just wild pitches as to like what the movie That is. one feels almost exactly the same as the events following the crash or a dream. Yeah. It's basically like the same idea. I don't really know how that counts as a different one. Right. It's basically like the the crash and like the reality like a, like and a the, dream yeah, right. world or something. I kind of just go with the first one because I don't really see the value in the other four. I don't think there's enough there where you can definitively say this is... Yeah, there isn't enough there. And plus, what what would be the point? Yeah, I don't right. Know. Yeah. Like, what would we be gaining from that? So, again, it's like a weird reality movie. I think it's a cool snapshot of a time and place that could never really it is a cool exist movie. post 9-11. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just and everything. The mood changed where you were just like, you weren't going to make a movie like this. It, afterwards right and cameron crowe making a movie like that. it just seems like such a weird snapshot in time everything that this movie is it's my second favorite cameron crowe movie after almost famous which yeah almost famous shockingly not a hit at all and i don't know most ha- of his other yeah. movies were hits but almost famous is clearly his best movie in yeah, my opinion I, I would agree 100 percent. i don't know if i have a definitive number two on his list, I, I might have to sit down and. This one would definitely be number two. Then probably, then I, probably I like singles say and say anything. Yeah. It would be like a tie, and then like Jerry Maguire, and then everything like post 
this yeah really is just kind of not great and you're just to me you're really just sort of left scratching your head a little bit like what all right yeah i mean elizabeth town i can feel like okay it's just swing and a miss like i don't like it at all i probably like we bought a zoo more than it but like i get it i get yeah. why he tried it like it feels kind of like a cameron crow movie it does yeah we bought a zoo which again i said I probably like it more than Elizabeth Town. Don't really understand why he made that movie. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> right. motivation yeah. for that was. It doesn't seem like anything else he's ever done. And then I never saw Aloha, and I probably we never, never will. Yeah, neither of us have ever seen Aloha. A lot of questions still. Though. Why is Emma Stone playing an Asian? Yeah, uh, well, among them, <laughs> what you know inspired you to want to make this movie? You know, who knows? So, yeah, and then he did the TV show Roadies, which got canceled after like one season, and he's never really done anything. It's at interesting. Least directing yeah. wise since. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. All right, recommendations for this week. Would it be in poor taste to recommend the 1995 movie Outbreak, currently streaming yeah, on Netflix? Yeah, it sucks. You should <laughs> also you should recommend Contagion instead, which yeah, is the big one. That's true. That everyone likes. Um, no, so I don't know. Outbreak my, is fine. My real recommendation <laughs> for this week. I oh, have, I thought that. I thought <laughs> that you were being serious. <laughs> so uh, again, you know, I've mostly just been watching Sopranos, but Lindsay and I did do a classic movie night recently, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Oh, Peter okay. Yates movie. Uh, just a really cool movie. You can see certainly it inspiring a lot of modern movies, but you know, certainly you see some like Quentin Tarantino influence and in some of the dialogue there. Robert Mitchum certainly great in it. Just a just a cool crime movie. I own it. I have not watched it yet. Oh, so. I it it's I, I think it's a, a pretty cool movie. And there's a couple parts in it where you're like you know, it's a it's a crime movie in Boston, so it's like you can see some stuff where you're like, okay, I see where like the town is throwing in a couple references. You know, years later. All right, yeah. Well, during this uh, self quarantine time, I'll probably have to check it out. Absolutely. Amongst other things, I'm going to recommend a show that came out last year. I think it came out before we started doing recommendations, so it never really popped up in my head. I think for a while I was doing recommendations based on like things that were like brand new or stuff that like I was just seeing and now it's occurred to me might as well just recommend it. We watched an episode of it right before we started recording. That would be I think you should leave with Tim Robinson oh, yeah. on Netflix. Right. It is a sketch comedy show. It's the episodes are like I don't know, 16 minutes long. There's not that many of them. They are doing a season two. I don't know when that's going to happen. It seems like all television shows have halted production because of the coronavirus. So I don't know when there will be new shows and movies. It could wow, be a yeah. while. However, season one, really funny. The sketches are completely insane. Some of them start totally, out yeah. one place, and then by the end, you're like, how the fuck did we even get to this? <laughs> it's just they it's go definitely all over an the absurdist place. humor, I would say. Yeah. Some of the sketches are a swing and a miss but most of them are pretty funny. Some of them are like super funny. I, it's almost like in a weird way, the vanilla sky of a sketch comedy show yeah, where sure. the more you watch them, the more you think things are funny. Like the first time I watched it, I was like, this is pretty funny. And then I've rewatched a lot of the episodes now, like three or four times. And I think they're way funnier now because you're okay. just like, this is yeah. so insane. 
you pick up on like every line like why did they say this like what is that why and they crammed them with jokes like you're not expecting because most comedy is pointed in one direction like this is what the joke is right here this is what you need to focus on whereas like there'll be 70 different things going on in one sketch and you're like this doesn't have anything to do with what's about to happen next, but it's funny on its own. <laughs> yeah. And then the next line is something completely different, and we're turning your attention towards this, and then it'll be something else. I don't know. It's just a really weird show. Really? I would recommend checking it out. So the Friends of Eddie Coyle on Criterion Blu-ray, don't know if yeah, it's Yeah, I don't think it's streaming on anything. I'll, but I'll put it in the notes on the episode if I can find it streaming somewhere. Maybe yeah. it's on Criterion Channel. And... I think you should leave with Tim Robinson on Netflix. As we said at the beginning, we're going to try to get back on schedule. We'll try to get these episodes out in a normal time. Yeah, we'll time. see how it goes. If everything goes according to plan, then we're going to record a Friday bonus along with wow. the next yeah. regular episode. Usually we don't say stuff like this, but I want people to take comfort in our podcast during these troubling really? times. It's going to be like really weird if this is the last episode that I ever post. Yeah. Well, we, when we took a four month break, it was a wrestling themed episode. And then we put the wrestler up, and then all of a sudden, t- a lot of time was going by. And yeah. it was like people were getting nervous. Anytime Every we time. touch on wrestling, right. it's like we have to take a four month break. <laughs> all right. So that'll do it for Vanilla Sky. Check it out if you haven't seen it, although I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, which is super annoying, and which is why I had to buy Matt the DVD. Yes, absolutely. People are probably wondering why you're not capable of buying these things on your own. Just, it's tough to find the time, really. Yeah, you know, I pretty much just have to handle it. Um, I have to, I have to agree. I will the say, I have no problem go. like uh, just renting something off Prime or whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do That's that. That's never a at problem. Some point. Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands. <laughs> we can't play this game.
judges, do you need more time? It's Porkins by a mile. The butt knows the apple cheeks. He's the best baby. If Taffy Lee Fubbins isn't the best baby of the year, I'll kill myself on live TV. Stop saying that. 